word. We ask you to guide, lead, show us what you want us to see from this. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Job chapter 12. In 12, we're moving right along. Uh, in chapter 11, Zophar basically gave the argument that God is too big to know and you can't be righteous because his righteousness is so much higher than our righteousness. And that was his argument against Job saying, I'm not that bad. He goes, you don't even, Job, you don't even know what you're talking about. And we talked about how his argument is correct, but not the way Job, not the way God was looking at Job. So Job's answer in chapter 12. And Job answered and said, no doubt you are the people and wisdom shall die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Yea, who, who knows not such things as these? I am as one mocked of his neighbors who calls upon God and he answers him. The, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. He that is ready to slip with his feet as a lamp despised in the thought of him that is at ease. The tabernacles of the robbers prosper and they, and they that provoke God are secure into whose hand God brings abundantly. But ask now the beast, and they shall teach you, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell you. And speak to the earth, and it shall teach you, and the fish of the sea and shall declare unto you. Who knows not in, the, in all these that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind? Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste meat? With the ancient is wisdom, and in length of days is understanding. I'm going to stop there. I've got so much I don't, I'm going to have trouble getting all of that. <laughs> so Job's answer is, you know, very starts, he says, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom shall die with you. In other words, he's kind of making fun of them. He's going, all right, you're telling me that God is so big that I don't understand him and cannot understand him, and you're telling me basically that you understand him. I am sure that you are the people that know this stuff, and, and when you die, all that wisdom is going on. Basically, he's saying, who made you boss? Let's turn it down to a real simple statement. Who made you superior to everybody else that you can make this kind of statement? All right, it's very poetic. You know, uh, I'm sure that you, you know, and he's being very sarcastic. I'm sure you're really smart and you know this stuff. And we know that when you die, nobody else will know anything because you're the only one that knows it. All right, so he's being very sarcastic with his answer back to uh, Zophar with that statement. Uh, verse 3 says, I have understanding as well as you. He goes, I know things as well. Matter of fact, most people believe that Job was the elder of these group of people and that he had taught them. And now here are these, you know, for lack of a better, better nose, not nosed kids coming in and telling him, Job, you don't know what's going on and you're trying to be righteous and we know that you've had to have sinned because bad things don't happen to good people and therefore all this bad, bad stuff that's happened to you, you must have really kept something hidden from all of us for all this period of time. And Job's saying, hey, I understand, I understand things too. I, I am not inferior to you. And, and he goes on to say, yea, who knows not such things as these? So he's saying, I understand what you're saying. And again, one of the things we're going to find, and I've mentioned this several times, is when these guys give Job an argument, Job basically says, I understand what, you are, what you're saying is true, however, and he adds something to this, because what so far said was true. God is higher than we are. His knowledge is greater than our knowledge. Or we cannot please the holy, righteous God and... You know, even Zophar said, well, I wish that God would come down and talk to you, Job, and let you know, <laughs> let you know what, what we know. All right, so, and Job is saying, hey, I'm not inferior to you. I know these, I know things. I, I have gone through all of these things. Uh, he goes, verse 3, should your lies, whoops, get back to the right chapter. Verse 4, I am as one mocked of his neighbor or scorned, made a laughingstock. He goes, and he's, several times he said, you guys are terrible comforters. He goes, you've come and you were, you were making fun of me. You're making, making me look like a laughingstock. You know, here he's saying, you don't even, you're, you're trying to tell me I don't know anything. You're, you're trying to tell me that I'm bad. I have hidden sins. You know, and that's not who I am. 
And Job has even admitted in the previous chapter, you know, I understand that I have, you know, sins, but nothing of a nature to deserve what has happened. Now, he doesn't fully understand sin either. I mean, Job does not fully understand sin, that one sin is enough to, to, to be totally judged. But he is also of the understanding that, you know, I'm not going out and, you know, raping and pillaging and, and killing. I don't deserve having all my stuff taken away and all my kids taken away is what he's trying to say. And yes, I understand what he says from, and this is the thing, the problem that we as human beings have, we rank sins from the awful down to the not so bad. God does not do that. <laughs> you know, in, in uh, Proverbs, he says, these things have, do I hate, and what does he name? Lying lips, words that, uh, lips that spell, uh, 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 Dispel gossip, you know, and we would think he'd put up there murder, homosexuality, uh, rape, and those type of things. And he says, no, I care a lot about what hurts people's souls. And that's really something that is true. You know, uh, we were all taught in our young days, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie, because hurt, words hurt longer and more deep than any physical injury. And God understands that in the scriptures. He says, I don't like the words that hurt people. All right. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't care about the other sins that we think are big ones. But he says, I'm trying to get you guys to understand that what you think are little things, I think of as big sins. And technically, all sins are big sins in God's sight. Uh, and this is what Job doesn't fully understand as he's defending himself against this argument of you've got some hidden sins that that demand this. But again, remember, Job is, is, as his friends, a prosperity gospel thinker that if you do good things, God must bless you. If you do bad things, God must curse you. All right. And in general, those are true. But we all know, and all through scripture, we see it. And Job's going to say the same thing here in just a moment. How many times do the unrighteous seem to be prospering, at least by what we can tell about them? And Job is going to make that comment here in just a moment. We, we read it. And, you know, we, had it, we all struggle with that. David struggled with it. You know, God, why aren't, the, you know, why aren't my enemies being crushed? Why am I always in, you know, being chased around? You know, how come they seem to be getting away with everything? And it's not just David. Almost every one of the characters in the Bible looked at that and said, God, what about, you know, what about that person over there? They, you know, you're not judging them, and they're awful and evil, I'm being run through the ringer for little things, yeah. You know, and it's like, God, I don't understand. Why? Why? Uh, and we've said this many times. Number one, they may look like they're prospering, but in reality, they're not prospering in their soul. We see it all the time with the rich and the, and the movie stars and the athletes that are checking themselves into... Uh, clinics to get over the drug and alcohol addictions they have and or even committing suicide because they're just so tired of the life they're living. So they're not doing as well as we think they are. We look at them and say, wow, look at that. They've got the house on the, the mansion on the top of the hill. They've got servants. They've got cars. They've got, you know, whatever they want they can get. And then they find, and we find out, well, gee, something was wrong with their life. They, they just weren't happy still. And you know, this is the problem that we have as people. We look at what we think we see instead of what is. And we even talked about that this morning. We sang the song, You Say, and how many of us do not live with what God says we are. We go with what we think we see about God and what we think we see about ourselves and say, God, I just don't understand this. I'm not, I'm not doing all this stuff. And God says, you, I don't see you that way. And this is something that is very important. Job's not fully understanding this. He kind of understands it, but not fully. And his understanding is much better than his friends. Uh, and he really doesn't understand. And we're very fortunate. I keep bringing it back to this because we're, we're now far away from it. But the first couple chapters of Job tell us that God's testimony of Job was that he is a righteous and perfect man that hates evil. And he allows Satan to, to basically destroy him. You know, and that's hard to understand now we get to the end of the book and we find out God has a purpose and he's got a plan for it all. But we don't see it. And if we were in Job's place, we'd be suffering with this. God, I've been honoring you. I've offered sacrifices for myself, my family, my kids. I've given, I've helped the poor. I've done all these things. Why am I 
having all of this happening to me. And we can do the same thing ourselves when, when bad things start happening. If we don't really focus on God and remember that all things work together for good and that God has a plan and all the things that we, that we know, it's easy to forget those when we're in the middle of a trial and in the, in the middle of hardship. And here is Job answering him, I'm as one mocked by his neighbor who calls upon God and he answers him, the just, the just upright man is laughed to scorn. Now this verse seems to say that Job actually communicated with God. He says, you know, the neighbor who calls on God and he answers him. Now we know that God has talked to various people over over the years. I mean, he talked to Noah, he talked to Moses, he you know, talked and communicated with Abraham. So it is quite possible that he had some kind of communication with Job. Job is saying that he talked to him. Now, is it through the spirit talking to him? Did he talk with God and hear the voice? I don't know. Uh, all I know is that he says that he talked to God, that he called on God and God answered him. All right. So here is a man, and this fits the description of God from the very beginning. He's a perfect, perfect and upright man who hates evil, which would be the type of man God would be talking to. Um, so it is, seems to be, and he goes, and the just man, the upright man, is laughed to scorn. Now, we think that this is something new in our day and age, but the righteous are attacked by the world and always have been. And we see it all through the scriptures. The prophets are laughed to scorn, are, are attacked, are challenged, many times thrown into prison, oftentimes killed. Uh, we see uh, Joseph, you know, he, go, he gets thrown in, you know, gets sold into slavery, then gets thrown into prison for being righteous. All right. Uh, we see it all through the scriptures. How many times did the people want to stone and kill Moses? who walked before God, talked with God, came down, and was the righteous man in front of him. And because they didn't like the message, there were several times that they were ready to stone Moses. And God intervened in many cases, opening the ground and swallowing, swallowing them in the ground, you know, the enemies in the ground, uh, sending plagues of leprosy, sending plagues of snakes in the, in the, in the, in the midst of them because he defended Moses. And here's Job saying, hey, I'm a righteous man. I don't, and, I, and I'm now being made a laughingstock by you guys? He goes, I understand that I'm not doing well and I'm, and I'm sick and I've got lost everything I own, but you know, why are you coming in to make fun of me rather than to comfort? And we need to be very careful that we do the job of comforting the people that, we're, that are down, not trying to harm them. I was talking to my stepmom today and she said this person came to came up to her because she's having a really hard time and she started crying and she goes, Well, can I cry with you? Which is a very biblical statement. We are to laugh with those that laugh, cry with those that cry. Job's friends should have been crying and, and mourning with him, not trying to criticize him and saying, Well, Joseph uh, Joseph, Job, you're you're really a bad person. Look at all you know, look how bad things are. You you have to have had something in your life to deserve all this. Instead of coming alongside of him and saying, Job, we're just gonna hang out with you, we're gonna cry, we're gonna see what we can do for you to help you and look at what what God wants us to do rather than what they did was try to criticize him. And Job's feeling miserable, as any one of us would. Now you're coming here telling me how bad I am. I'm already feeling bad. I've lost everything, and now you're going to tell me that I'm also a terrible, wicked sinner that deserves all that I'm, all that I'm going through. Now I know it's easy for us to think somebody deserves what they're going through. And I get asked that question: Did this happen because they deserved it? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'm not God. All right. It's quite possible they deserved it. But I'm not God, and that's not the way I'm going to go counsel them. You know, uh, unless I absolutely know that they deserve what's come their way, I'm not, even then I'm not going to tell them that they, that, you know, they des that they deserved it. I'm going to tell you you need to repent and come back to God and work from that angle. Uh, and if I don't know them, I'm just going to you know, try to comfort. And that's not what Job's friends do. He says, you're making me a laughing stock. You're laughing at me, basically. And I don't think they were literally laughing at him, but they were making a mockery of him. 
uh, as he was going on. Uh, verse 5 says, He that is ready to slip with his feet is as a lamp despised or the thought of him, uh, in the thought of him that is at ease. So here is basically Job is saying, the one that is slipping down is con contempted, uh, treats the other as contemptible. He goes, I am now slipped from my spot for whatever reason. You're treating me with contempt. But he's also saying something that is very interesting here. He goes, you're treating me as you think you are. Because this is very true. Those who think that people lie or that are liars believe that everybody lies. Those who are thieves believe that everybody is a thief. And believe me, I've heard it all the time. You know, you know, whatever you are doing, you will usually project on the other person, especially if it's bad. You know, uh, I think about stealing, so you must all think about stealing, so I'm going to treat you as if you're a bunch of thieves because you're obviously thinking about stealing all the time. And this is what Job is saying. The light, the light, the light, uh, a light that is despised. Uh, Light is thoughts. Light is thoughts and teachings in most cases in the in the Old Testament. Uh, when he talks about light, when when we see light in the Bible in the Old Testament, especially, oftentimes it's about doctrine and teaching that brings light to your life. Because uh, I was growing up for many years, and I'm going, God, it sounds like they're worshiping the light. And yes, they were, but not the way that I was understanding it. They were they were understanding the light of God's doctrine that brings clarity. So he says, those who are slipping are as the lamp that is despised, the teachings that are despised, and the thoughts of him that is at ease. And this is really true. The more at ease people get, the more they reject God. And this is something that we always think of, well, God, I just want to have lots of money. I wouldn't have to worry about anything. I'll really be blessed. I have a nice house and cars and food on the table. And God says, yes, and you'd forget about me. Yeah, and this is kind of a very interesting thing because it is true. Uh, we even see it in the, the way people give. The more money people make, the less percentage-wise they give to, the, give, to the, give to God. The poor people give 10 20% with no problem. Of course, you give a 20 when you don't make any money. You've given 10 20%. But the, the rich people barely ever give 1% or 2%. And I kind of understand that. If you're making you know, $1,000 a, a month, you give $100, you know, what can you buy with $100? Yeah, you can pay a few bills, but really, what can you do with $100? All right, you're making four or $5,000 a month. What does does $400, $500 buy? It pays bills. And it can be very interesting sometimes to say, uh, God, do you really need this money? I could, I could pay this bill with this money and, you know, for me as a mathematician, 10% is 10%. You know, it doesn't matter whether it's 10% of 100 or 10% of 1,000 or 10% of a million. It's still 10%. But not most people, most people don't think of it that way. Um, and it happens, and it is true. The, the more wealth they have, the less likely they are to give anywhere close to a tithe for their offerings um, because they're starting to realize that money can go and do a lot. And... Uh, and he's basically saying, hey, those that are at ease don't really care. They really don't care. And this kind of an interesting thing that I was hearing again. I was listening to a speaker this morning and he, on the way in, and he was saying that those that are live in hardship are more likely to help those that are in need than those that are very wealthy because they never see anybody in need. And we hear it from our politicians all the time. Many of them have not seen anybody at need because people go buy their food for them and bring things in. They've not been to a, to a restaurant or a grocery, well, excuse me, to a grocery store or anything because they send other people there. Uh, they don't have any clue at the increase in the price of the products that we're having to face. They have no clue on, on seeing somebody begging for money on the side of the road or somebody who's having trouble staying in their home or these type of things that we see every day when we're not so rich and not so famous. And so this is what he's saying at this, you know, this is, this is the way they are. This is the way things are going. 
Then he goes in here, very classic statement. We've seen this everywhere. The, the tabernacles of the robbers prosper, and they that provoke God are secure, in whose hand God brings abundantly. So he's saying, God, uh, these bad people are all prospering. And then he even he kind of accuses God, and God, you are giving it to them. All right, you are giving it to them. You know, I'm a prosperity gospel man. God, you know, that, those people deserve to be homeless and, and not have anything and look at everything that they've received. David said the same thing. It's, it, we read it all through scriptures, you know, and we all have been there at some point. God, why is that person doing so well? You know, and that person can be filled in by you. We've all had somebody we've looked at and said, God, that person is so mean and nasty. Why are they getting to the top of the company? Why are they getting all the promotions? Why do they, why do they seem to have everything? You know, they've got a nice house and everything that they want. This is what Job's complaint is. God, the, the bad guys <laughs> have everything. I used to have things, and now I have nothing. I'm not a bad guy. And these guys that are really bad, they have all the stuff out there. It kind of tells you where Job's at right now. He's in a pity party, full-fledged pity party. We would have been, too, if we were in the same place to have everything and now have nothing. We probably would have been in the same place having a pity party saying, I don't understand, God. Don't understand why you're blessing this person and why that person's blessed. And, you know, they were really bad. And and by comparison, I was really good. and, And I don't have anything. And they've got everything. And this is where Job's at with this. Why are they being blessed? <laughs> and all of us at some point have probably been there where we say, God, why is this person being blessed? Don't understand why they're being blessed and I don't seem to be getting anything. And it really affects us when we are going through hard times. When it doesn't seem like we're being blessed, we look all around us and saying, God, that person, that per- God, what, how, how come, why, you know, uh, and part of the problem is that we're looking at the wrong things to begin with. And we're looking through the eyes of flesh. They're not being blessed as much as we think they are. And we're not being cursed as much as we think we are. And this is the wonderful news is when we start trusting God, we can do much better. This is why for me, for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes is so precious to me because when I seem to be going through hard times, I fall back with, okay, God, you've got some good purpose on it. I have no idea what it might be. And I will tell God that much. God, I can't understand why, why this is, how this can ever be good, but I'm going to trust that you are true. Do I do it 100% of the time? No, but I do it more often than not. When things seem to be going bad, I'm going, okay, God, don't understand, but you have promised that, that good will come from it. And when we can hold on to the promises of God, it makes it easier to go through the hardships. Now, we're not, none of us are ever going to do it perfect, and for somebody else it may be some other great verse. You know, for some people it is, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. That's a good verse. You're going through hard times? God, I'm going to give thanks. I don't know why I'm giving thanks, but I'm going to give thanks. And literally do it. Uh, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on into your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Very good verses. Basically the same thing as Romans 8.28. God has a plan. I, know, I may not understand it. And God is going to direct me in my path. So find these verses that mean something to you and really put them into your heart so that when you go through hard times, you can fall back on these verses and say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hold on to this verse. Don't understand it, don't understand why, don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to trust that God knows what he's doing. Unfortunately, Job lives before the, before the Old Testament was even written. All right, he, he's living before, in the time of Abraham. There is no scripture written yet. We do know by the, the level of theology that they are well taught. Um, and this is the problem people have with the book of of Job is they're looking at it and saying there's no way those ancient ignorant people had such high 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 theology going on well that problem is your premise is totally wrong that they were dumb you know uh, why because they believe in this idea of the caveman who who was dragging his club around and had to learn how to get fire and and the wheel and all that stuff 
and they believed that people were stupid when they were created because they don't believe they were created. I think Adam and Eve were extremely uh, smart and intelligent. They were taught by God directly. We do know that they were into metallurgy, that they were making brass and, and, and great instruments before the flood. We know that they were already building cities. We already know that they were well-developed. And I think we're stupider now than we were back then. You know, that goes against the whole evolutionary idea, but it is a very big fact, I think. I think they used a whole lot more of their brain than we do. It's said that we only use about 10% of our brain. I think they used a lot more of their brain. God created them. Their genetics were perfect. And God taught directly. And he, still he was still talking. He talked to Adam and Eve after he kicked them out of the garden. He talked to Cain and Abel. He, he talked to several people all through the scriptures. So they were not totally dumb. They were not totally lost. God had a plan, and they understood. Job's theologies are, are strong. He's not perfect, but he has very well-developed de theology. Zophar had a very high theology. He understood that God was greater than anybody, and we really can't understand him. We don't get that again until Isaiah. Your thoughts, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. You know, uh, who can know me? Jeremiah, your sin is, uh, the wickedness of your heart is, uh, is beyond comprehension. You know, we go through all of this stuff. They're understanding it already at the, at the time of Job. So we've got to be very careful about how we look at the ancient world. And it's very amazing if you even do a historical study how many things in the ancient world were discovered long before we rediscovered them. You know, how to do navigation. Every great nation that dealt with the sea learned navigation. How to plot by the stars and do trigonometry. And as soon as you learn trigonometry, you learned that the earth was round and, that, and how big the earth was because they used it to, to calculate it. You know, when Columbus sailed across the ocean, he already knew as a navigator that the earth was round. He even knew the size of the earth. You know, and because that was known to the Romans, it was known to the Greeks, it was known to the Egyptians, all these seafaring places knew that kind of information. Then they fell and it got lost. <laughs> Ancient Egypt had electrical batteries and motors that were running. You know, not great ones like we do, but they had ancient motors and electricity running. You know, and we think that they were stupid. And we got to be careful about this. That you know, just because knowledge was lost over and over and over again, doesn't mean that they were dumb. And what would happen is these great nations fell. The barbarians that came in thought that they had done magic and stuff and everything, and they destroyed everything, all those advances, and had to learn it all themselves. You know, later on. And so this happened over and over again where knowledge came and knowledge went. And we know that their knowledge in, in the book of Job is high theology, very advanced theology, which is why so many people want to date it as a very late, late book. Well, it had to have been written around 1,000 uh, BC or 1,500 BC. Well, no, it was more around 4,000 BC or 3,000 BC, excuse me. Uh, so that he could be a contemporary of Abraham. So 2,500 in that range. So he has this problem going on. And he goes, now he's going to be very interesting. But ask now the beast, and they shall teach you, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell you. Or speak to the earth, and it shall teach you, and the fish of the sea shall declare unto you. So he's basically saying, look to nature. Look to nature and see what you learn. And it's an amazing thing as we learn more about nature and the intricacies of how they're all intertwined and, and connected. We look at, uh, we did the Truth Project and he talked about the egg and how it has so many holes in the egg so that the air can get through and it has a pouch at the top of the egg that has an air pouch that, that the when the chicken gets to a certain age and ready to hatch, he pops that open and there's just enough air in there for him to peck his way through the correctly porous egg <laughs> and then get out. Yeah. Uh, and we think about that. How many times have we as humans tried to improve on the environment? 
we're, we, we need to get rid of this, so we're going to put this plant in or this animal in, and then because that plant or animal does not have a predator, it overtakes everything. And we have to do something else to get rid of that, that plant that we had put in that didn't belong there, uh, or the animal that we put in that didn't belong there, and we get this vicious circle of not understanding how each, each fix impacts everybody else. This is what Job's saying. Look around and see how perfectly balanced everything is. Now, I don't know how he knew that everything was perfectly balanced, but he has this understanding. He goes, look at the birds. Look at the, look at the animals. Look around and see how everything is in perfect balance and keeps each other taken care of. And you know, this is something that is important. The more we're getting away from nature, the less we're seeing this. And it's even funny that our scientists are saying, well, we know that everything looks designed, but ignore the design, it's all by accident. Because they want to believe in evolution. And Dawkins was good about this. He goes, we know that everything looks like it's, that it's, uh, that it's all by design, but it's only an apparent, it's only in your mind that it is, that it is designed. You got to remember that it wasn't designed was his statement. Job is saying, look at nature and see the design, see the organization, see what's going on, and see how God has masterfully put this all together. And it is wonderful to watch nature and see how nature is intricately put together. You know, we have just enough rabbits to feed the, the, the hawks and the eagles and the coyotes, and there's just enough of them to feed on the... On, the, on their prey, there's enough grass to feed the rabbits. If there's not enough grass, then the rabbits aren't as high, and then, then, we, don't, then we lose our predators. You know, everything is totally balanced, and God knew what he was doing. And it's a wonderful thing, and Job is saying, look, study what God has created. He has got a plan. He is out there. Look at nature and see the glory of God is what he's coming into. Then he says, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Does not the ear try words and the mouth taste meat? So he's going, God holds everything in his hand. Now this is advanced. This is advanced theology that he has. That God is in control and holds everybody. What is he ultimately saying? God is totally sovereign. Now, he's kind of forgetting that God is sovereign and God can do what he wants to him. And this is the problem that all of us have. Sometimes we know our doctrine. We know what God says, and then when it comes our way, we forget what we know. And we want to be careful about that. Job has forgotten that God, I mean, here he's saying God is sovereign. He holds the soul of man in his hand. He can do what he wants with him because he holds that soul and then he's complaining about God, to God about what's going on in his life. You know, but I'm going to tell you, I've done this myself in my lifetime and I have seen it done so often where people forget what they know about God when things get tough. Because we get into, like Job, a pity party. I don't understand what's going on. I've been, I was trying to honor God and, well, you know, I know I'm a sinner, but, you know, I, didn't, I don't deserve all of this. And, you know, those people over there are getting away with everything and I'm not getting anything. This is Job. Job is there and he's speaking the truth. God is sovereign. He holds the world in his hand. Now, he says the souls, but we know it's the entire world. And he is the sovereign God that can do what he wants. Or as Jeremiah said, he's the potter. And we're the clay. He can make us into anything he wants. If he doesn't like what, he, what, what we've become because there's a flaw in it, he can destroy the whole thing and start all over again. Now, we don't like that destruction part because we feel like we're being crushed, which we are. And then he rebuilds back up. And so we need to understand this whole idea. God is sovereign. It's his desire to do what he wants to do because he is God. <laughs> he is king. Now, and we all, I understand, we all gripe and complain when things don't go the way we think they should. Because we forget that God knows all things and he has a plan that we don't understand. And we think we have a you know, great plan. And most of us at some point in our life have thought that we were God's counselor and advisor that tell him what he needs to do. Um, 
you know, even a simple thing. You know, God, I need, you know, I really need to get out of debt. Why don't you give that person a desire to give me some of their money because that would get me out of debt. Yeah. So we don't just pray oftentimes. We tell God how we want the prayer answered and forget that he is sovereign and forget that he knows the beginning from the end and he has a better plan than we could ever think of anyway if we're just patient enough to see the plan work out. But too many times we don't, aren't patient enough to watch the plan work out. We try to do things our way. All right, God, you're not answering my prayer the way I want. I'm going to go make it happen. And I can almost picture God shaking his head. You're like, that's not the plan. I, if, I, if that had been the plan, I would have done it for you. Would you just relax? And I can picture him laughing, you know, at us. Oh, or probably more like sighing. When are they going to learn? I have this perfect plan for them, and they're trying to do it their way. They're doing it again. <laughs> they're doing it again. When will they ever learn? <laughs> and the thing we see in scriptures is that God repeats himself over and over and over again. Why? People forget. No, people forget and they want to do it their way. And we see it sometimes in the same generation, sometimes from generation to generation, uh, that God repeats what he said over and over again. He knows that man is short memories and will try to do things their way. And this is where Job is at this point. He says, God holds all things in the breath. He goes, do not the ear try the words and the mouth taste meat. He goes, God's given us things. We can hear his word and we can actually taste and see that God is good. All right. Uh, and yet we sometimes get dull ears so that we don't hear. We don't taste the word of God. We're, we're, we're eating upon garbage more often than not, and God is saying, I've got so much better for you. I've got great things for you if you will just trust me. And yet, how often do we not trust him? He goes, with the ancient is wisdom, and in the length of days, understanding. With him is wisdom and strength, and he has counsel and understanding. So here we go. Job is going back to where he started on this one. They were saying, you know, we're, we have age, we, under, we understand what's going on. And he says, you're right, with, with the ancient is wisdom and length of days understanding. And for most of us, as we grow with God and we start seeing things that are true and we, we start experiencing God's truth, we start to get more wisdom and more understanding and tend to trust him more as we get walk with him and see that he is true and, and righteous. It's not 100% of the time, but we get better at following him, and I know I have gotten better at following him. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I am a whole lot better than I was when I was 20 years old. I am much better than I was when I was 30 and 40 years old. Uh, I wish I was perfect with following him, but that's probably never going to happen in this lifetime. As a matter of fact, I know it's not going to happen in this lifetime, but I am better at following him and understanding why because I have seen him work over and over and over again. And this is what Job is saying. With the ancient, with the older people comes understanding. And then he goes, with him is wisdom and strength. And this him that he's talking about, he switches over to God. God has wisdom and strength. And he has counsel and understanding. He goes, you think as an older person that you have wisdom and understanding? God has wisdom and understanding. And we need to really get to that into our mind. God is the sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what we need. He understands what we need. He's the one that created everything. You know, I've seen people try to explain away miracles. And they'll give some naturalistic way of having a miracle. You know, they'll try to explain the Red Sea. Well, they just happened to play cross at a place where the, the water level wasn't too bad and there was this great storm that blew it away. You know, I go, you know what? If there is a natural reason for it, that's fine. But God still had them at the edge of the water at the right time for those, those events to happen. And I think many of the miracles are pretty, you know, God looks and says, oh, you think that was a miracle? I know how it works. You know, I know exactly how it works so I can, I can fix it. 
You know, you wanted, you wanted to, eyes to be able to see? I know, I'm the one that created the eyes. I know exactly what to do to make those eyes work. You know, you wanted to change the water into wine? I know exactly how to change the molecular structure and add things to it that now we've got the best wine that you've ever tasted. I have no problem with God being able to work what we call miracles and say they're nothing because of his understanding. Does that make him any less God? No, it just means he knows a whole lot more than we do. And he created everything. He is all-knowing. There is nothing that God does not know. Think about that for a moment. There is nothing. Now, we don't know the future. God knows the future. We don't know how all things come together, no matter how smart you are on any topic. I've told people, especially when I'm teaching, that my definition of an expert is somebody who's beginning to know what they don't know. You know, you know, think about that. When you, when, you don't, when you really don't know something, you think you know everything and you don't know anything. But the more you get to know, the more you begin to realize that there are things you don't know. And you start to get, when you really get to that expert, you're going, you know what? I know a lot about this topic, but I don't know how this works. or I don't know how this works. And I don't care what the topic is, whether it's computers or engines or construction. You may be able to do 90% of the stuff, but there's certain things that you may not be able to do. And this is where he's at. You know, God knows everything. You think you know it, God is the one who knows it. And when more we realize that God is on our side, number one, and that he knows what's coming our way, the better off we're going to be. And the first part, I think, is really understanding that God is on our side. He has a good and perfect plan for our life if we didn't try to mess it up. And even when we mess it up, he will then turn it around for good. Because that's the thing I love about Romans 8.20. For all things work together for good. All means even the stuff I mess up. Even the stuff that others mess up by their sin. And I'm looking, God, there's no way you can make this good. And God says, all things work together for good. Not not only the things that God had planned, not you know the things that were done right, but all things. And Job is right there at this point. He's saying, God is the one that's wise. He has a plan. You know, and again, he understands it. He's not living it out. And we've all been there where we know something, we know the truth, and we're in the middle of a trial. And we might even say, God, I know this, but I am not happy with where I'm at. I know you love me, but I sure don't feel your love right now. I know that you've got a good plan for me, but man, everything, my whole life has fallen apart and I don't think you have a plan for me. I think you went on vacation or something. You know, and we may not be that bold, but you know, oftentimes we think it and you know what? God knows our thoughts. And we might not even be that bold in our thought. We might not be able to communicate the fact that we think God's gone on vacation and, and forgotten about us. But we think about these things. And we need to get into the place where we just trust God. Job is in this place. He knows these truths. But he's in a pity party right now and he's not living out the truths that he knows. And that's a sad place. But again, all of us have been there. You know, this is very familiar world to us at some point. You know, some people live in it longer than others. I know some people who've never seemed to get out of this this level of pity party and not trusting God. And I'm sad. You know, I'm not going to say they're not Christians, but I've watched them just wallow in their pain and not trust God. Some of them for decades. And it's like, why will you not just trust God? God has a plan. He has good, good hopes for you. And you know, the more we wallow in our pain, the more we fight God, the less we're going to see the good. And it's a sad place to be. And I've literally watched several people in my lifetime that just wallow in their pain, never release it to God, never trust God. They'll tell you that they know that God is good and that he know, they know that he's got a plan, but they will not release to let God take, it, take and do it. And they're miserable. And they bring everybody else around them down because of their misery many times. And, you're, and they're the ones that if you tell them, you know, for God... You know, all things work together for good. They're going to want to rip your head off because they're feeling miserable for decades. And they're going, there is no way this is going to be good. You know, God doesn't know what he's doing. And yes, I believe God's word is true, but I don't believe that verse. Yeah, and we need to be careful. Job is in this place at this moment. 
as he's going through with this. He goes, Behold, he breaks down, and it cannot be built up again. He shuts up a man, and there can be no opening. So he goes, God tears men down. He puts them into tight places. And when God does this, he goes, There's no way that you can build yourself up. Been there, done that. I've told you all that one time I was fighting God for six years, and I had great plans. God broke me down. And every time I put together a plan, he would not let my plan work. And I'm a manager and a programmer and all these things, and I'm going, many of those plans were very good plans. I know they were good plans. But God shut it up (laughs) and said, no, your plans are not going to work until you surrender. And we need to be able to understand this whole thing with God. God has a plan for us, but we need to surrender. The more we fight against him, the harder things will be. And we need to understand that God has a plan. And the more we surrender to that plan, the better off we're going to be. The less time we'll have to fight in here. I think Job was in this place for a long time because he's fighting. He's not willing to just release and say, God, I'm, you know, he started out right. You know, woman, you know, his wife tells him, curse God and die. And he goes, woman, are we going to accept good from God and not bad? He knows what he's supposed to do. But then he very quickly, as everything gets worse, starts having a pity party and his friends don't help him any. They, they make sure that he goes deeper into his pity party and he's already suffering from it. But he's not ready to just surrender and say, God, whatever, whatever you, even though he knows the truth even though he knows the truth that he's going in here. It says, God breaks down and he, and he cannot be built up. He shuts up a man and there is no opening. Behold, he withholds the waters and they dry up, also sends them out and they overturn the earth. So he goes, God is in control of the weather. If God withholds rain, then all the crops dry during the drought. And he goes, if God wants to overwhelm the world, he sends a flood. Now, he might have been thinking about the great flood at this point, or he could have just been thinking of a local flood. And we know what it's like to have floods around here in this area when we don't get rain, we don't get rain, and all of a sudden we get dumped on, and our washes get so full and so full to the point of being able to wash cars down the the wash, and people have died trying to cross the washes. Uh, We see the, the flooding of the area. And this is what Job is talking about. God has control not only of man, but also of the nature. Jesus proved this. He walked on water. He, he commanded the storm to cease. He turned water into, into wine. He did all these things. He did all the healings. He showed that he had control over the things that man cannot control because he was God and he was proving that he was God through all these miraculous things that he did. And Job is saying that God has control. He knows all things, and he controls nature. Isn't it wonderful that Job knows all these things? Now, if he only would be able to say, God, I'm now content in what you, what you know, he'd have been better off. I'm content in what I know that you're in control. But he, he'd gotten to the point where he wasn't content. He was struggling, and I understand his struggle. He, you know, I'm not sure that I would, what I would do if I lost everything overnight like he did. Because if you remember, everything was, while this man was yet talking, the next one came. And while he was talking, the next one came. And while he was yet talking, the next one came. And he barely had time to get over losing everything when all of a sudden his health was taken away from him. And he was doing okay during the first part because I'm sure he was looking, okay, well, I've lost everything, but I still have my health. I can go out and get it all back again. I I got it once. I can do it again. And then he lost his health. And then that was going to really make him miserable. Right now, what am I going to do? I can't go back out and farm and, and do this all by myself. And I have no money to hire anybody. And I don't really want my wife going out and doing this stuff. You know, she doesn't have time to do it. So he's going through this whole party out there. Um, verse 16, with him is the strength and wisdom, and the deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away spoiled and makes the judges fools. He looses the bonds of the kings and girdeth their loins with a girdle. He leads princes away spoiled and overturns the mighty. He removes the way 
removes away the speech of the trusty and takes away the understanding of the age. He pours contempt upon princes and weakens the strength of the mighty. He discovers deep things out of darkness and brings out the light to brings out to, to light the shadow of death. He increases the nations and destroys the, and destroys them. He enlarges nations and straightens them again. He takes away the heart of the chief of the people of the earth and causes them to wander in the wilderness where they have no way. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them to stagger like a drunken man. So here's a long statement that he makes about what God does. And again, think about this. He understands these things but is not willing to say, I'm in the spot. <laughs> All right. So what does he say? He says, with him is strength and wisdom. God's hands are those that are good. They have the strength. They have the wisdom. But he also goes, the deceived and the deceiver are his. What's he actually saying? Everything belongs to God. Those good ones and those bad ones all belong to God. They are all his. And I hear this all the time. People in, you know, on the radio and stuff will say, well, the good people are all gods and you know, the, the Christians are all gods and everybody else, they're Satan's. No, they are all gods. He has control of them. Now, does he influence the, the wicked as much as he does the, the, the righteous? No. The righteous are his. He'll deal totally with, different with us. We are his children. He will discipline us. But that does not mean that he says, okay, you guys are just totally worthless. You know, go, go your way. And Satan can do whatever he wants with you because you're not mine. I'm no, I, don't con, I don't control he still has control over all things. And this is why it's wonderful. He says he turns the heart of the king whatsoever way he wants. I mean, he totally controls what he wants. And he can say, you want to go that way? No, we're going to go this way. How he turns them? You know, it's kind of interesting that God can literally make them do what he wants. Or he can set up the circumstances so that they have no other choice but to do what he wants. And I think he does it both ways. And I think he does it more often, circumstances to say, go do this this way. I used to love it as a manager to get people to do what I want and think it was their idea. Not having to tell them what I wanted, but just setting things up and putting little words in there, out there. And the next thing you know, I think I'm going to go do this. I think that's a wonderful idea. You know, just what I wanted them to do, God is master at that. I mean, I was fairly good as a manager to be able to get people to do what I wanted without having to force them. But God can do it because he knows. He can bring in everything and, you know, move, move them in the direction he wants and they'll do, the, they'll do what he wants. He can also, because he is God, just turn them and, <laughs> and live, you know, turn them completely the way he wants. But I think he does it more gently because they don't want, you know, he doesn't want them to be able to say, well, I only did it because you made me. Well, no, you had a choice. At every one of those turns, you could have made a choice of turning to me or not, but you, turn, you, you turned away, again, away from me. And this is what he's saying here. He goes, that all are in his hands. He leads counselors away spoiled and makes the fools, uh, judges fools. Kind of an interesting thing. And literally in the Hebrew, it says, he leads the counselors away barefoot. In embarrassment, the barefooted was the s slave. All right, so he says, they don't even have their shoes anymore. They're, they're, all, all of what they thought was good has been taken away. The judges are as fools. Kind of reminds me of our judges today. But <laughs> uh, So he's going, all of these things, people turned away from God, and God took away all their wisdom and made them look silly. He loosens the bond of the kings or the authority of the king and girds their loins with a girdle. Most of, the, most of what this kind of indicates is that he takes away their authority and leads them captive. If he wants the king to be captive, they're going to be taken captive. And this is what I have seen in my life so often. God brings about what he wants to have happen. I've watched people raise to, up in a, in a business and cheat and beat up everybody on their way up and they come back down very quickly and usually out the door on their way back down. But God says, I am in control. I will do what needs to be done. He goes, he leads princes away spoiled and overthrows the, the mighty. And so not just the kings, not just the wise men, but the princes. 
and the mighty men, he says, I will lead them into spoil. The princes, again, this idea for spoiled is barefooted, you know. And for a prince, for a prince, that would be a big deal. They were used to the royal garments and the, you know, being decked out and fully clothed. And he says, I'm going to take them away without their shoes on and probably without much else on other than their shoes, but literally that they'll go away barefoot. They will be taken into captivity. They will be treated as a servant or a slave. Uh, he removes away the spoil of the speech of the trustee and takes away the understanding of the age. So here he goes, I have removed or taken, turned aside the language of the trusted, the ones that are able to give you advice. God says, they're doing it on their own. They're not being godly. I'm going to turn their, turn their speech away from them. They're not going to have good counsel. Uh, if you remember the story of David when he was chased away by Absalom, he sent Ahithophel, uh, uh, you know, um, anyway, he sent a, a guy, a trusted leader to take the counsel of the leader for uh, for Absalom. I can't remember who which one was which, so I don't want to get in here. But he says, you go in there and make his advice sound bad. Now, the problem was that the guy was giving great advice. He told Absalom, you know, we need to immediately go get your father, you know, go kill your father. You know, let's gather, we've got 20,000 men here, we're going to go chase after him, he's running away, they're, they're, they're uh, uh, dis disoriented, now was the time to get him. Good advice, they probably would have won, won and killed David. David's counselor goes, well, you know, you're... Your father, David, is a man of war. The worse his position is, the harder he's going to fight. You need to wait till you gather the whole army of Israel and then go, get your go after your father because then you'll have numbers. Really bad advice. It sounded good to him. Uh, but he did all these things to usurp the good counsel that, that was. And he made it sound really good. And, the, and Absalom took his advice and David was able to get himself situated and protected and other places where he gave bad advice to Absalom, but it sounded good. This is what he's saying here in Job, that the ones that are trustworthy, their words are going to be wrong, and he overthrows the mighty. The strong will not be able to stand in their own power. And this is something that I have noticed and I've told people over the years, be careful where you think you're strong before God. Because most of the time we fall in the area that we think we're strong. Mostly because we do not put a guard on it, we do not protect it. And the next thing you know, you know, I will never take a drink. And the next thing you know, you're drunk. Uh, I would never, you know, my, my big one was when I was a teenager, I, there will never be a time that I won't go to church and read my Bible. What did I find myself doing in the midst of my workaholism? not going to church, not reading my Bible, not praying. You know, if you had told me as a teenager that was going to happen, I'm going, absolutely not. There is no way. I love God so much. There is no way I'm not going to do that. We need to be very careful where we think we are strong. God will let us fall flat on our face because he does not want us to do anything in our own strength. He wants it to be through him. And this is what Job's understanding, that God will bring down the mighty. He says, he pours contempt upon the princes and weakens the strength of the mighty. So he's repeating again. He discovers deep things out of the darkness. And this is kind of an interesting statement. He says, he discovers, he brings to light the mysterious and dark things that are out there. Have you experienced this with God? The more you read his word, the more you get to know him, how things that you did not understand start to become understandable. Why? Because God is bringing in the knowledge. And he says, I will do all of this. He brings to light the shadow of death. All right. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of the valley of the death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God brings light in the midst of that shadow. He brings the light. He's with us. And Job is understanding that God is the one that brings this understanding to him. He goes, he increases the nation and destroys them. He enlarges nations and straightens them out again. He is the one that brings the rise and fall of nations. If God does not want a nation to fall, they're not going to fall. If he wants them to fall, 
Nothing that they do is going to keep them from falling. One of the greatest examples in the scripture is Nebuchadnezzar uh, uh, Babylon. When his grandson was having a part, Babylon has been surrounded. He goes, nobody's ever taken Babylon. We're in the middle of the river. Nobody can take Babylon. And they're having a wild, drunken party while they're being surrounded by the enemy, the king and all of his commanders. And God makes the city fall that night. Now, it's a long story about how it falls, but you know, the story is that they, they brought the city down while they were in the middle of a drunken party. Why? Because they had confidence in themselves and not in God. They were not trusting God. And God says, I make the nations rise, I bring the nations down. I bring good, I bring bad. You know, you're going to have what I want, and then you're going to lose what I, what I gave you. And this is what Job's understanding. Job's understanding is of God's power is very significant. And he goes, he takes away the heart of the chief of the, peer, of the people of the earth and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. So he says he takes away the courage, the, the innermost strength of their leader. And then they wander and just are lost because the leader has no direction and because there's no road for them to follow and they just wander. Have you, maybe you've been there where you seem to be wandering. God's taken away the heart because he's trying to work with you and trying to teach you to pay attention to him. Been there, wandering around, thinking I knew what I was doing and ending up not being, getting anywhere. God removes the heart. He removes the strength. And then this very interesting thing, they grope in the dark without light and he makes them to stagger like a drunken man. Now, this is kind of an interesting because all of us have probably been in a dark room trying to find our way out of the room or to a door or to the light switch. <laughs> you know, uh, it's interesting leaving here because our light switch is way over here and the door is way over there. And it gets dark at night. I turn that light off and it is you know, very dark in here. And we got lots of chairs and tables in the way. Phone becomes a lamp to, to get through this. Uh, because it is very difficult to make this. Gotten up in the middle of the night. Well, now I have a lamp right by my bed, so don't, don't have this happen. But before the lamp, I had to walk across the room, turn the light switch on. Now, the problem was walking to the light switch was not that big a deal, but finding the light switch sometimes was a big deal. I'd find the door and not the light switch. I'd find the bookshelf next to the light switch. I didn't panic because I knew where, where everything was in relationship, but... This is what he's saying. So he's saying, they shall be like the person groping in the dark, trying to find the candle, the, the matches, whatever they need. They shall be like, they, he, they shall be made to stagger like a drunken man. You know, and that's quite a picture. God's saying he's taking these top dogs that he's been talking about here, the kings, the princes, the trusted counselors, everybody that you would go to see and make them groping around in the dark and staggering around like a drunken, drunken man ready to fall down. You know, this is, these are the leaders. He had almost put himself into there that he's finally feeling, I'm now groping around in the dark and I'm staggering around like a drunk man. You know, he didn't say it that way, but you know, he's probably thinking just that. This is how I feel. God has pushed me down. I'm, I can't see the light switch. I can't see where I'm going. I'm staggering around. I don't have any hope. And he says, it's all of what God does. Now, whether he's really applying this to himself or not at this point, I don't know, but he is telling him, you think that everything is, is going to be good? You think that just because you're following what you think God wants, that everything's going to go good? He goes, I'm learning otherwise. I'm learning otherwise. And he's getting closer to where he's supposed to be. He's getting closer to understanding the truth, but he's not there yet. It's going to take him a few more chapters before he finally gets there. But this is very important for us. Do we grab hold of what we know and hold on to it in the dark, or do we forget what we know in the dark and throw it aside and say, well, God, I just don't know if I should trust you anymore because you don't seem to be sovereign. Look at all this bad stuff that's happening to me. Instead of, God, I know you're sovereign. You've got a plan. It's a good plan. I'm going to trust it. But we all have been there, myself included, saying, God, I just don't understand what's going on. I don't know that I can trust you anymore. 
And that's not a good place to be. But we all get there at some point. Hopefully it's a short time, but the more we know him and the more wisdom we have in our heart. God, I, okay, sorry, God, I really know that you know what's going on. I know that you are God, you are, you are, you are the one I need to trust. And Job is going to have to get there. Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign, that you are in control, and that you have a plan, and that we need to learn to trust in your plan that you have for us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.